Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Buddhang dhammang sankhang namasami So it's the half moon, the one prat, a chance for us to uh, contemplate Dhamma, the teachings of the Buddha, together. <clears throat> Some of us gathered here in the temple and others in other parts of the monastery. It's interesting how this has become quite normal, really, to be spaced out like this. And I was thinking how, if we ever do get back to normal, with um, 60, 80 or 100 people in the temple, it'll probably be feel very, very crowded. <laughs> uh, we've got used to having more space. So we're almost halfway into the winter retreat time, which um, feels quite amazing. Uh, weeks have, have slipped by and uh, life has settled into a, a kind of a rhythm. A uh, little bit of talking, but not very much. Uh, times of practice together times of practice on our own and uh, supported by the uh, lay support team who've um, really been doing a lovely job looking after us and helping to look after the monastery as well. Uh, very lovely sense of everything being taken very good care of so a lot of, I feel a lot of appreciation for that and a lot of appreciation for uh, really what goes into uh, Amarawati and this community. Uh, all of the different kinds of effort that people make to uh, maintain this as a, a place of practice for us all. <clears throat> the um, enormously generous material support that comes in from people who aren't able to visit right now, people from all over the world who, who send contributions or bring food and so on. Uh, and then the COVID committee, I'd like to, a special acknowledgement of the COVID committee who, I think they've had 
32 or 33 meetings <laughs> since the start of the pandemic. Not little short meetings, long meetings, four or five hours, uh, poring over charts and considering statistics and data. Um, I mean, I've never been to one of the meetings, so I don't know exactly what they do, but uh, obviously a lot of discussion happens and thought goes into just considering how best to, to look after us all, keep us healthy. Uh, how to support people who are arriving with all the quarantine measures and looking after people coming and people who are sick. Uh, it's a huge, huge effort and thought and care. And nobody seems to be asking for us to thank them or to reward them in any way, and asking for any special privileges. But just week after week, putting forth effort, thinking about how to, how to manage things. So I feel immense, immense gratitude to all of the people who've put in care into that, thinking about that. And I'm also aware that um, Amarawati is well into a very, very major reconstruction effort. And I was just thinking about the effort that's going into that. And even before foundations start getting dug and buildings start appearing, a huge amount of thought and planning and meetings and discussions. And the last couple of days, I know the ADL group have been gathering to discuss things. I don't know what they've been discussing, but a lot of, lot of thought and care and planning and thinking about how, how this monastery can uh, be developed in a way that will be beautiful, um, conducive for, for practice and to support the large numbers of people who will be, well, we hope who will be living here over the next few hundred years people visiting, supporting, uh, enabling this place as a, a place of, of practice, a place where we can uh, hear and contemplate the teachings of the Buddha. One of the things that I've actually um, really missed uh, during this time of the pandemic. I mean, I, I love the space <laughs> and I love the quiet, but I have I've greatly uh, felt the lack of um, opportunities for us to chant together, to recollect uh, the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, uh, to recollect the teachings and not just for us to recollect them personally, but for us to do it all together as a community. Um, so, um, and just considering the, the value of, of that, and even although while we're actually chanting, our minds not, might not be with every single word that we chant, every syllable. 
And yet, just bringing these things to mind, uh, just sort of the daily uh, recollection, daily imprint. It's one of the things that I I love to do up in uh, the Hermitage in Scotland, where I normally live. Uh, just every day, morning and evening, just to, to chant the recollections of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, uh, the mon- monastic recollections, recollecting the um, requisites, the four basic requisites that we, we live with. It is contemplating robes, arms, food, shelter, medicines, just these basic standards of um, material uh, requirements to enable us to, to live you know, reasonably comfortably so that our bodies are, are protected, uh, nourished, taken care of, uh, so that there's a reasonable, uh, we're not too distracted by a lot of physical pain, sickness, uh, not too much hunger, a little bit of hunger perhaps, that's a helpful recollection for us, isn't it? Uh, it's one of the things I never actually experienced very much as a when, before I became a, a nun because whenever I, I wanted I could eat something uh, but then as as uh, monastics and as living in the monastery uh, that's something we can't do whenever we feel like it and so um, we do experience hunger and have a sense of actually what what these bodies are, what this human existence is. Uh, What's the deal, having been born into this human realm? Uh, What what, what on earth is it all about? Why are we here? Why are we here in the human realm? Why are we here in the monastery? And these are these are interesting questions for us. Yeah. All of us have come to the monastery because uh, we see a possibility here. Each one of us, in our different ways, in our different lives, our different backgrounds, different countries where we've lived, where we've grown up, have come to an appreciation that um, we need help. We need help to find a way to live in in the best possible way, to live in a way that is going to uh, support us in understanding suffering and the ending of suffering. At least this is what brought me here, and I think it's probably the same for everybody else. Most people that I speak to when I ask them, there's some some variation on that story, uh, some sense of, of dukkha, some sense of lack, of longing, I remember when I first met Ajahn Sumedho in 1977, uh, just 
a few weeks after he'd arrived in, in London. He was very tall, slim, American, big smile. And he talked a lot about monastic life. It was obviously something he was very, um, thought was a good thing. And I remember as a rather rebellious, challenging uh, laywoman you know, saying to him, are you saying that everybody has to do this? And uh, being quite fierce, I remember, because uh, I had to find something to criticize. <laughs> it was my first visit to the Vihara. And he looked rather taken aback, and Ajananda, sitting beside him, said, Well, no, no, I'm not saying everybody has to do it, but um, we find it helpful. And there were no more objections. I couldn't find anything else to criticize or object to. It's lovely seeing him back here again, to see Ajahn Sumedho back here again. He arrived, as, as we all know, just over two weeks ago, and we're having opportunities to, to pay respects, to welcome him back. Uh, to this monastery. This monastery that definitely wouldn't be here without his um, presence on the planet. Uh, having established Chithurst Monastery uh, in 1979 and filled that up with nuns, monks, bursting at the seams, uh, it was time to find somewhere bigger. And so he had this enormous, well, what seemed like an enormous vision for a much larger monastery where to have a training center for the nuns, uh, a place where there could be family events, a place where there could be um, retreats, a place where there could be um, Buddhist events, festivals, ceremonies, interfaith library. And there was even the idea of a crematorium. <laughs> uh, in Thailand, in all the monasteries, they have um, crematoriums, crematoria, crematoriums, Anyway, places where they burn bodies in the monasteries, in the village, in the in the in the forest monasteries, they have a special place where bodies can be brought and burnt. And uh, part of his vision for Amaravati was that we would have some kind of a place where we could do that. Uh, and this was actually printed in one of the first leaflets about Amarawati, like the vision for Amarawati, and it very quickly got withdrawn from circulation because the neighbors got very upset. <laughs> it, it wasn't something that received universal approval. The crematorium, I mean. Um, <laughs> so um, 
uh, but almost every other idea uh, that was put forth that Arjun Samedo came up with at that time um, has, has materialized, has happened. Uh, the family events, the, well, it's a double community now, not, not just the nuns, but the monks live here as well. Double monastic community, big interfaith library, festivals, seminars, meetings, uh, and so on. And Ajahn Samedo lived here for 30 years or so, and uh, then returned to Thailand, and now he's back here again. And he's an old man now, no longer upright, can't see so well, can't hear so well, very little sensation in his feet, so it's difficult for him to walk, needs help. And still just as clear as ever about his commitment to liberation, his sense of the unconditioned consciousness. These are things he talks about, just encouraging us and guiding us uh, to come to that realization uh, that we're not these bodies and minds. <laughs> Uh, anatta is <laughs> not not um, who and what we are. We're much more than that. But for most of us, there's still a, a strong identification with the body and the mind. Strong identification with the mind, and not just with the mind, but with all the creations of the mind. This is what we're here to understand. It's what we're here to investigate, to contemplate, to study. When we begin to um, observe the mind, uh, like when people first, you know, when we first start meditation, we come on retreat, uh, there can be a lot of... Um, Dismay, I think that's probably the best word. <laughs> when we realize the uh, ways uh, that we cause ourselves problems. We realize just how, how crazy the mind is. Uh, how harmful the mind can be, both to ourselves and to others. The ways that we think about ourselves and each other, the way that we speak to ourselves, the way we speak about each other, the ways that we cause harm, that we cause division. Setting ourselves apart from each other, me, you, us, them. It's endless, isn't it? 
Theravada Buddhists, the Mahayana Buddhists, the Buddhists, the Christians, the Muslims, the Scots, the English, <laughs> the Brits, the Europeans, the black, white, Asian, and different nationalities, different languages. And the strength of feeling that can arise in relation to what's other. This is very shocking, or can be very shocking, should be very shocking, actually. Uh, and should arouse curiosity for all of us, all of us who are on the path to liberation. Because this is what we need to understand. The strength of Atta, Mara, that which divides, that which creates a sense of separation, a sense of me and you, self and other. There's often a lot of difficulty in really um, understanding um, the Buddhist concept of anatta. Uh, dukkha is something that we grasp fairly early on. <laughs> Suffering, unsatisfactoriness, uh, the difficulty uh, that we can experience in life in this human realm. We don't always get to the very refined difficulties straight away. And in fact, many human beings are quite convinced that they don't suffer. Everything's fine. Um, and it's easy to do that living in the world when you can, you know, if you're rich, if you've got plenty of money, if you've got good health, you know, you can, you can feel that everything's fine and wonderful. You don't have to look at the subtle kind of fears Fears of being rejected, fears of not being good enough, sense of inadequacy, uh, desire to maintain a position of popularity, of success, of fame, wealth, whatever it might be. And there's always a way to distract yourself when you're living in the world. But when you come on retreat or if you live in the monastery, um, without the possibility of satisfying your every whim or desire, uh, there's a lot more uh, opportunity to really uh, become aware of dukkha, of those subtler uh, sufferings or struggles of the mind. The fears, the desires, the longings. So I think for most of us who've 
who find ourselves here, we, we, we have uh, a sense of dukkha. We, 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 we have some uh, degree of appreciation of that phenomenon. <laughs> Change is something that becomes uh, apparent. Uh, we can notice it. It's not such a, a strange thing, even although um, Even although sometimes <clears throat> we um, miss that rather obvious fact of our existence, <laughs> that things change. Uh, but when it's pointed out, we can think, oh yes, yes, I, I get that. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm not the same as I was when I was born. I'm not the same as I was when I was a teenager when I was in my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and so on. You know, we, we, we get that, the body changes. Uh, this uh, glum mood that I had this morning is, has moved, has shifted, has changed. <laughs> and somebody asked me how I was this morning and I said, all right. I usually say something much brighter and more positive. It was just, all right, <laughs> or still alive. I think I said still alive. <laughs> there was a glum mood this morning, and that's changed. So we, 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 we learn how to observe change. We, we, we get that. We learn how to observe change as it happens during the day, during our lives. But anatta is a more difficult one to uh, get our minds around because we're so um, identified, we're so used to identifying with our bodies, with our minds, with our ideas, with our thinking, our concepts, the concept of me, uh, it seems so completely obvious and solid and fixed and a fact, <laughs> me. Uh, and we give it a name. This one is the name Sister Chandasiri or Ajahn Chandasiri. Seventy-three years old. Bit of a surprise. It's weird to say that. Scotland, Buddhist nun, Theravada Buddhist nun. And I could list all my good qualities and I could also list a good number of not such good qualities and uh, weaknesses, inadequacies. Plenty of those I could list, but I'm not going to. Um, not right now, anyway. Um, and I could... Um, 
And there could be a, there's good reasons for identifying with, with, with all of these. And yet, when we really uh, look into this, when we're really present, when we really go for refuge to Dhamma, here and now, Dhamma, uh, this moment, when we're really fully present, if I sit here really fully present, You know, Sister Chandasiri, Buddhist nun, faults, qualities, position, skills, <clears throat> difficulties, things I can do, things I can't do, and so on. It, it, it's kind of irrelevant. <laughs> uh, it's, it's their descriptions. <clears throat> you know, they do have a, a conventional uh, relevance you know, the fact that I'm a Buddhist nun I'm not a Buddhist monk and I wear these dark brown robes this is the robes that the Buddhist nuns here wear the monks wear a different colour of robes the monks are sitting in the shrine room in the retreat centre I think or in the, in the Bodhinyana hall they're, they're sitting somewhere else the nuns sitting in the temple. This is the uh, convention. This is the way that it's been set up um, in the best way that we could do it in, in, in view of the, the pandemic. Uh, this is the way that it's, it's been arranged. Nuns in one place, the monks in another place. Nationality has a has a relevance uh, to some degree. Although it's interesting, I find living uh, in the in the monastery with people of many different nationalities, I actually have to remind myself: uh, you know, this one comes from this country, this one comes from that country, and yes, of course, they have different way of looking at things, different way of responding to things. This is, this is normal. And then we have this conditioning. Um, the way that we've been uh, brought up. Um, and even the monastic training is, is a kind of conditioning. Uh, the vinaya that we follow, the rules, the guidelines, and we can we can identify with with that with our precept form. I'm a silidara. I have these rules. Um, oh, the bhikkhus! I'm a bhikkhu. I have two hundred and twenty-seven rules. Silidara, we have one hundred and twenty rules. Maybe that's not so good. Or maybe 
We should be bhikkhunis with 300 and something rules. Maybe that would be better. Better than the Anagarikas who only have eight precepts. For lay people, eight precepts. Um, we can make a big deal about that. But really, I think the more rules you have is the more that you're aware that you need help, you need that support. Uh, that could be another way of looking at it. It's better not to identify with these things isn't it? It's better to see these as conventions that we, we use, that we use for liberating the heart. It doesn't matter how many rules you have, it doesn't matter how many precepts you follow. These are just conventions, structures that we find helpful. In the end, we need to let go of all of these things because they're not who and what, what, they are, what, what we are. And if we cling to them, they're going to cause us suffering. Any kind of identification with anything will cause us suffering. So it can be interesting when, when there is an experience of suffering. You know, when, you, when we do become aware of some kind of struggle going on in the mind. It might be um, uh, thinking that I'm, you know, I'm not good enough, you know, some kind of lack or failing. I should be like this. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not good enough, I haven't done that well enough, um, I can't do this, I can't do that, I'm not as good as him, I'm not as good as her. Um, well, nobody likes me, <laughs> nobody likes me, everybody hates me. Uh, all, these, all these things that can, we can be concerned about we can make ourselves miserable about, um, that matter. Um, <clears throat> so it might be about me, or it might be some kind of feeling of irritation with somebody else. I'm living in community with all these other people there's bound to be somebody who's going to be irritating at some point. I remember at Chithurst, I think I've probably said this before, probably heard me say it before, saying, you know, if only this person didn't speak to me like that, if only she didn't do that, if only he didn't do that, if only we didn't have to do this, why can't we have the meal at one o'clock, more sensible time? 
like everybody else? Why can't we have supper? Why isn't this allowable? Why isn't that allowable? Why don't they treat me with more respect? All the ways that we can cause ourselves suffering because of what's going on around us. The stories that we tell ourselves. So it can be helpful when we find a story going on in the mind, rather than just letting it go on and 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 then there's this and then there's that, the way that it happens when we have a gripe or a grudge about something or someone, can we just stop it and listen? Maybe not stop it, but maybe just instead of the ear sort of focused on what, what's being said <laughs> on the storyline, just listen inwardly. How does it feel? How does it sound? Do I really want to be thinking like this? Do I really want to be carrying these ugly, negative thoughts around, telling myself these things, these things about myself or about somebody else, whatever it might be? Or is there a way to bring it to an end? Just actually turning the mind inwards, listening to it, is a very good support for bringing it to an end. Because instead of it being something that we believe 100%, this is true, I am a hopeless case, I'll never be any good, instead of actually believing that, uh, we begin to challenge it, to question it. This is just a story, this is just what my mind is telling me. That mind that just goes on and on, yakety, 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 yak. Uh, can we begin to just become more aware of it, to listen to it? rather than that total identification, that unquestioning belief in everything that it tells us. Like as a kid, I used to believe that everything that was printed was true. You know, if it was printed in a newspaper, it was true. If it was printed in a book, it was true. I was kind of, some kind of unquestioning faith in the printed word. Uh, I don't have that anymore. But I do surprise myself how frequently I believe in what, what my mind is telling me. So you can tell I'm not quite enlightened yet, because I still fall for it time and time again. But I'm getting a little bit quicker at catching it, and challenging it, and questioning it, and beginning to see that this is just a habit it's just a conditioned habit that has arisen in the mind. I don't know how it works. I mean, I was trying to contemplate what thought is, where it comes from, how it arises. I mean, if, you, if you've ever seen a brain, it, it, you know, brains are just it's kind of just a lump of rather revolting looking grey stuff. And yet, and it's up here, it's in, inside the skull. That's what I'm told it is, inside here. And it produces all this stuff. 
I mean, wonderful things as well, extraordinary things. I am beautiful, amazing, phenomenal things. And a lot of harmful stuff as well. So we need to learn about the mind and learn about our own particular condition patterns of thinking. Not to be ashamed of them, not to feel that there's anything wrong with us. This is just, it's just habits, it's just patterns of thinking. It's not, it's not anything that you have to claim any identity with. It's just stuff. It's just a, like a computer, really. You know, if you press a certain number of keys, this kind of program appears on the screen. That's all it is. You know, if you hear something, you know, a particular chain of associations arises. So we don't have to identify with it. But it is helpful to begin to notice um, and to begin to train the mind in ways that are going to support us in liberating the heart, in seeing clearly, in understanding the ways that we cause ourselves suffering. This is actually what we're here for. <laughs> uh, to become quicker at recognizing the stories, particularly the um, harmful ones, the ones that diminish and um, diminish ourselves, make ourselves feel lesser and unworthy and um, lose respect. But also our ways of thinking about each other. That's really important. All of these ideas, all of these things that we think about ourselves and each other are what the Buddha refers to as delusion or illusion. It's, it's not true. Uh, you know, they're, they're just kind of data that we stick together to make a, a solid entity. But actually each one of us is an ever-changing process. Not a fixed somebody. I mean, we, 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 we have names, we, each, and each, each of us has a name, and we use those names. So if, you know, if I say Noriko, Noriko knows, knows who I'm referring to, or Emily, she knows who I'm referring to. Um, but these are just conventions. They're not who and what you are. And if I form a, a, an image of you, that's not who and what you are. That's just an image. Just as Sister Chandasiri and all the ideas that anybody might have about me or I might have about me, it's not who and what I am. Yeah, just ideas. I mean, certainly I've done things, I've said things. Uh, certainly I have certain uh, ways that I often respond or usually respond or maybe always respond <laughs> if somebody says something. something. Um, but it's, 
it's not it's not who and what I am. So really learning how to relate with each other as in, in the present, you know, as who and what we are right now, rather than through the um, uh, kind of screen the, that we make of the ideas, you know, the patterns, um, the things that we stick together to, to, to construct uh, what we think of as, as, as a person. So as we, as we, um, you know, this is a journey. It's, it's, it's a practice, and at any moment we can, we can drop our ideas. We can, we can let go. Ajahn Sumedho he always talks about, you know, don't think about enlightenment somewhere in the future, but here and now. You know, be enlightened here and now. Um, unfortunately, for most of us, this isn't a continuous experience. <laughs> and so, um, in the meantime, you know, in the moments in between the enlightened moments, uh, there's the encouragement to cultivate um, wholesome uh, states of mind. And cultivating kindness, compassion, um, generosity of heart. These can be very helpful. They're helpful because they make us feel better, uh, much better than when we're you know, harsh or judgmental or unkind, mean in our thinking. So it makes us feel better to, to cultivate kindness and generosity of heart. Um, and it also makes other people feel better. I was in the office today, Emily was there, and I had to make a phone call to my GP practice up in Cobbury about vaccination matters. And it was the third time in about a week that I'd phoned them. And it was a really... Um, I was very embarrassed to have to make the request. I couldn't... I didn't have my NHS number, which I needed to fill in a form for registering here. And so I was quite anxious about this phone call because I thought they were going to be a bit um, impatient with me. And I phoned up and the lady was so kind. She said, oh, that's easy. And she told me the number and she said, anytime you've got any concern about anything, just, just give us a ring. And it was just such a, a balm to the heart. I mean, she probably didn't think anything of it. But it's, it's interesting just to uh, realize that kindness is a very um, 
lovely thing to bring to this world. So, um, maybe to end with a very um, brief uh, synopsis of the Buddha's teachings and encouragement uh, for us in this human realm uh, on, on the path to perfect liberation. Uh, and Ajahn Chah's synopsis was let go he said, you know, the, the, the main preoccupation for uh, anyone on the path is to keep letting go. Um, I'm going to give a slightly, slightly fuller one, which I refer to a lot and I really love, which is just to, to do good. To avoid doing harm and to purify the heart. So I could start another talk by uh, saying what I mean by purifying the heart, but I think that's probably enough for now. So I offer this view of contemplation and my sincere good wishes for each one of you on your journey to liberation. <laughs>